0: Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Welcome to ES First before... We get into the word. I want to tell you that we are a Bible-believing church here at ES First, and we preach through books of the Bible. So right now, we're in the book of John. The book of John is a narrative about Jesus' life. How many people like a good story? Right. My favorite is the story of Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in a heartland. But I also like the story of Jesus, and so we cover that, we talk about it, and we love the word of God here. So we're talking about Jesus And as much as we love the word of God, we love Jesus even more. And so one of the things I like to think about is if Jesus walked into the room, how would I act? What would I ask him for? How would I treat him? How would I pay attention to him? All of those things are so important. And so that's one of the things that as we get to know Jesus through the word, how we respond to him changes. So right now we're talking about healing because when Jesus came to the earth, he healed. It's undeniable. He healed people and restored people and worked in their lives. And so we've been talking about that for, um, I guess, a little over a month. And uh, our theme for the revival this year is be healed. And we believe that God is a healer. Say amen to that. And if you haven't, then you don't know God as well as you think you know. Maybe you know your grandma's version or your old church's version or somebody else who told you that God doesn't do that anymore, but he does. He's concerned about every detail and area of your life. And if you don't believe that, he was at a wedding. They ran out of wine, and he took water and changed it into the best wine. That's how concerned he is about the details. And he made the best wine for a bunch of people who were on a seven-day binge right? He's concerned about the details of your life. And my concern is that the American church, especially the modern church, but the American church specifically is so sufficient in themselves that they forgot how to depend on God. So I've been talking about that for a few months. And so hopefully you can check that out on the podcasts when they hit and get caught up. But I'll give you a little recap and we will go from there. Are you ready to start today? Okay, so here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, and it says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know that you are speaking to us clearly by your word, by your spirit. That you want us to know you. You want us to find you. That you said if we seek you, that we would find you. You would reward us. You're that kind of God. And Lord, we turn our hearts to you today and expect that we will find you. Because you're not that far. You're close to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last couple houses I owned, I've only owned two. I walk into them and I think, uh, this is a cool house. I'll change all this. Anybody else like that? Like, cool. Take that wall out. Take this out. Put a pool upstairs. You know, whatever we got to do. I'm going to make this my place. Well, in like 21 years ago, I was in a particular house in Excelsior Springs. I was there for a birthday party and I was making guacamole. I was making guacamole in the kitchen and I thought to myself, my 19-year-old self, I said, self, one day I want to own a house just like this one. That particular house is 815 Peach Street, and I was visiting my friends, Tony and Susan White, and I was there for a birthday party, and I was hanging out there. Now, probably 15 years later, when my family was expanding, and all of Tony's kids were moving out, (laughs) he was looking to downsize, and I was looking to upsize, you know what I mean? And so I said, Tony, are you wanting to sell your house? He said, yeah, I want to sell my house, and he was trying to find somebody to buy it, and I said, well, I would love to buy it, but I need to sell my house first. And so I had uh, worked on my house. I had ripped out the wall between the living room and the garage. It was one big open house. Put new windows in. I did all this stuff. Now, when I say I did all this stuff, I mean like I brought in good friends. (laughs) Right? Like, I have way bigger vision than I have ability. But I rehabbed this house, and so I'm I'm going to this new one and and this bigger house. and I'm like, man, this is really cool. I like this house, and uh, it looks just like it did like 1998 when I was here, 99. It's like, it looks, you know, the same carpet, not same carpet, it was a different carpet, but, uh, you know, the same border around the top and the same cabinets. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really special, but what if we got rid of all of that and moved this out and, and changed all the flooring and did all this stuff? And all of my dreaming and scheming and thinking about all the things that I wanted to do was dependent on one thing. Me selling my old house and buying the new house. And so the bank was like, Brandon, you can't own two houses. You don't make that much money. I'm like, well, just try me. You know, who knows? I'm good for it. Pay on Friday, right? And uh, so I moved into my parents' basement. And I got my old house like just completely gutted because I got five kids and five kids can mess up a house in like 2.2 seconds. It's like nobody's even going to look at this house. On Like we're going to bring some people over to show your house. Like no, you're not. I got five kids running around here. So we moved everything into my parents' basement and the storage facility and, and we were living there. And it took a year to sell my house. Right? Nobody wanted to own my house, but I wanted to own this other house. It was like this shuffle. It's like, can I just get somebody? Anybody? Can anybody just come and buy my house so I can move into the place that I want to move? So I, I told Tony, I was like, hey, maybe I could get into your house and I could start working on it. I could start changing some stuff. And so I got into the basement and I gutted some stuff. And I and I started priming it. And I started changing it. I started, started doing all this stuff and making some updates that I wanted. And I didn't own the house yet. <laughs> it's like I was just on faith. You know, I was like, God, this is my house already. Look at all this work that I'm putting into it. And then... Somebody else made an offer because it was taking too long to sell my old house. And they signed the papers and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, dear God, what am I going to do? I got all my family or my parents' basement. And uh, it's a big mess. And where am I going to live? And pretty soon it was getting closer and closer to closing. And those people decided that it was too much work. To do what they wanted to do. They didn't want to put that much money into it. They didn't want to change the things that they could see in their own mind. As a matter of fact, they said, we just want to get into a house and just live in it. We don't want to change anything. And I said, well, that's not me. I want to change everything. I want everything to be different. I want everything to be new. I want everything to be the way that I dreamed it could be. And so they dropped out. And lo and behold, my house sold. And then I put an offer in and everything, boom, 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 lined up all at once. And then I moved in because I had the title deed signed. It had my name on it. It belonged to me. Tony came over and he's like, wow, this looks different. His daughter, Taylor, comes over and watches my kid. She's like, this house looks different. It's changed, changed. See, what happens in ownership is that you sign a title deed and you get possession of the house. It's no longer Tony's, it's mine. He can come over he's like, I did all this stuff and you know there's stuff in that house that he knows better than me. Because he built it and he finished the basement, the electrical down there. Sometimes I call him like, hey, where does this air duct run that goes down to, to there and down to there? Because I just dropped a Lego down it and I'm, it never came back. <laughs> He's like, well, that one goes to the garage. Duh. And I'm like, okay. Ownership is one thing. Rehabilitation is another thing. I could have moved into Tony's house and I could have sat there in the living room and thought, man, you know what? I'm just going to leave it just like this. Even though in my mind... I had an idea of what I wanted it to look like. I had an idea of how I wanted my style to look like. It like I saw one guy on the internet, he hung a Ducati motorcycle on his wall, and I was like, that would be pretty cool, this wall right here. But I could have just sat there and been like, well, I don't want to mess with it too much because this is Tony's house. Tony came over, he said, I love your house. And I said, well, wait, wait. this is your house, Tony. He says, not my house anymore, it's your house. When God comes into your life, he becomes the owner of your spirit. See, back in the beginning, what happened was, is Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God breathed his spirit into them, and they were alive. The serpent came along and convinced them, Satan himself, came along and said, Well, you won't surely die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know all that he knows. He doesn't want you to have the capabilities. He's holding back on you. And so Eve eats the apple, the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, and she dupes. Adam into eating also the apple or the fruit, and they hide themselves because they know that they're shameful, they're ashamed because they're naked, and God comes to find them, and they're ashamed, and they're, they're hiding from God. And what had happened was, it wasn't that they physically died or died in their soul, in their personality, they died in their spirit, their spirit. So, their spirit once belonged to God, but because of sin, the ownership changed, God left. So for thousands of years, God is connecting with his people. He's trying to get close to them. He's trying to be near them. He's trying to interact with them. And he finally sends Jesus to save, to sozo, to soterio his people. And what happens when he comes in to save is he takes the dead place now the possession doesn't belong to God, the dead place, and he brings them back to life in their spirit, it changes ownership. All of us that have been saved, that we believe on Jesus Christ... For forgiveness of sins, we repent, we turn from our wicked ways, we go towards God, we become a follower, a disciple. We are made new, or alive, as Paul would call it. And the John the Revelator would call it, alive to God. That means we changed ownership. Now, the issue is, we change ownership, but oftentimes... Even though we have the deed, our surroundings, our environment, still look like they belong to someone else. Just like when I bought Tony's house, it came in, it looked like Tony. He had a bird in the corner. you would walk in, that bird would talk to you. Ah! Pretty bird. I'm like, man, this bird's got to go. <laughs> I can't... <laughs> this bird's freaking me out, you know? <laughs> I'd be sitting there chilling, and he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like... <laughs> Like, this has got to go. I was like, I want to get hardwood floor in here. I don't want carpet. I want to be able to, you know, do my risky business. Tom Cruise slide across here in my underwear. Some things have to change. When God came into your life, he is the owner. He took possession of your life. But it seems like enough of us are sitting right there going, this is all God wants. He just wants possession when actually he wants rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. He wants to rehab your life. He wants your life to go from looking like dead, to go from looking like the world, to looking like him. And so when he comes to save, he encapsulates body, soul, and spirit. And so in Thessalonians, Paul says, may God himself, the God of peace, that word peace there, actually lends itself to the Jewish word, prosperity, Prosperity, thriving, growing, overflowing with life. May the God of, of prosperity and life and overflowing abundance, may He sanctify you through and through, not just title deed, not just ownership. Oh, yeah, that's mine, but I leave it in blight. He says, I want to transformate you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless until the coming of our lord jesus christ that doesn't mean in heaven that means here until jesus gets here life and life more abundantly so when jesus comes to the earth he is demonstrating this god kind of life he goes around he goes around forgiving sins he goes around delivering from demons and torment he goes around healing bodies because he is demonstrating who god is what god is like and what god wants for your Life, But the Christian world, we're content with just change of ownership. Because after all, we wouldn't want God to do too much in our life. As a matter of fact, we are comfortable with praying for salvation. Forgive me, God, please. And then when we get a little sick, you know, our kid gets a fever. We're like, oh, oh dear God, let him be healed. Like as if God's like standing there going, no healing here. And you're like, come on, God, let him. He's like, okay, I'll let him. That's the way we pray. We just think maybe God will heal our body. Maybe God will forgive us of our sins. He promises that, but you're not promised anything else. But actually the Bible says that God sent Jesus to provide for you in all ways. And then oftentimes in our own life, we're sitting there in our couch going, I wish my life could look more like God, but I'll just leave it like this. It looks more like the devil. And it's okay. Even though it's under new ownership, We let it look like this old life. God wants your life to be completely renewed, renovated, restored. Not just in your forgiveness, not just in your body, but even in the most neglected part, your soul. How did God do this? He did it by sending Jesus. In Isaiah 53, we've been talking about it for a couple months Jesus' mission statement, probably not from his mouth, but it's the prophecy about him. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." In this verse verse is spirit, soul, and body. Not just your forgiveness of sins. Not just your feel better, make it to heaven ticket. It is life and life more abundantly. I'm going to ask you guys to forgive me if I ever stop telling you this. I may have to tell you every single week. And people walk in, he just preaches the same verse over and over and over again. And I'm like, well, as soon as you get it, I'll stop preaching it. God wants to heal. Deliver, save you through and through. He wants to. God wants to. How do I know? He paid a high price for it. He sent Jesus. And people say, well, that's just allegory. That's just, you know, that just means something mystical and weird. Okay, except for the writer of, in Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew says in Matthew, uh, I think it's 10, 10, 19. It's funny, I always write it. I'm like, oh, that's the, that's the verse in Matthew about Jesus' healing. It's verse Matthew 10. I think it started in Bible college, and I, I realize that now. Um, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Isn't that pretty cool? That sounds like an awesome healing. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed all the sick. Two different things. He drove out demons, and he healed the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Remember that verse that everybody wants to allegorize? Matthew says that Jesus was doing it, physical things, healing and delivering from demons, because Isaiah said that it would happen. It's not allegory. It's real as the nose on your face. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That's what God wants to do. God wants to do. So the trichotomy of man says that you're three parts you are a spirit, you're a spirit person. You have a soul, and you possess a body. Does this make sense? So, so your spirit is what dies when you are apart from God. It is the part of you that is alive. It comes back to life. So Paul says, once I was dead, now I'm alive. And Paul writes in Romans, he says, by one man, death entered. and Adam sinned and everybody ended up dead in their spirit. But by one man, everybody can come alive. Jesus can bring life. We're dead and alive. Old, new. You get that? That happens in your spirit. That's why when you get saved and you come down and you pray a prayer and you walk out and you're like, well, I probably won't smoke anymore. And then you're like, man, I need a cigarette. What's the issue with that? Your spirit is made new, but your soul hasn't been made new. Ownership has changed, but rehabilitation has not started yet. It can happen little by little. It can happen a lot by a lot. So he says, may you be held blameless, spirit, soul, and body. You are spirit, you have a soul. Your spirit is the word pneuma. numa. that is what God breathed in. It is the word where we get the holy pneuma. It is the set-apart pneuma. It's different from the human spirit. It is the holy spirit. And then we have the soul. Now the soul is your Mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, how smart you are. It's your emotions, it's how you feel, it's how you interact with others. A lot of your personality comes out of your soul. It is your will, it is your desires, your dreams. It is what you lay awake at night thinking, I should do more, I should be more. That's in your soul right? And then you become a Christian, and God's in your spirit, and it's new, and then all of a sudden, the spirit starts talking to your soul. It's like, you should do more. You should be more. Everything's possible. I didn't think I would ever be this way, but, but I am. Maybe I, need to, maybe I need to get rid of these habits. Maybe I need to move forward with God, and, and your spirit is working on your soul. The word soul in the Greek is your psyche. Sound familiar? I mean, movies and Disney would want you to think that your soul is somewhere up in here, you know, and it's how you feel when you sing or when you cook or when you you sass somebody. You have soul, you know, you care deeply. But actually, it's everything that you are. When someone dies and they're in a casket, their body is laying there, but their soul and their spirit, not there. Everything's not firing. Why? Because the person is gone. So the next part, The body, the Greek word soma, is the outer part. And everybody is obsessed with God, heal my soma and take my spirit to heaven, my pneuma. And oftentimes we forget that God is intimately involved with the parts of your psyche And many people in the church have shied away from the truth that God wants to give you a new mind. No wonder Jesus, when he came, he said, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with what you think, with all your psyche. He wants you to steer who you are back toward him. But that's hard because when ownership changes, sometimes it's easier to just go in and go This will be good enough. I think this is all that God wanted. Tony comes to my house. The first floor looks completely different. He walks up to his old bedroom. Guess what it looks like? His bedroom. Different color. Same bedroom. You know, I wanted to put a jacuzzi in the corner, but I just haven't yet. I wanted to deck the whole thing with smoke and lights like church here, but I haven't yet. I wanted to paint the whole room black, but I haven't yet. That's not true. I don't want to paint it black. It's just funny because I paint everything in here black. Just so you know. Just stick with me. It's just funny. okay? But we're comfortable to leave it mainly because it's more work than what we bargained for. And the second reason is because we're not convinced that God wants to do it with us. There's enough people that are like this. Well, you know, as soon as I get my life together, that's when I'll, you know, come to church. As soon as I get my psyche, my habits, my, my emotions in check, that's when I'll come to church. You know, as soon as I can do this, that's, that's when I'll give God everything. Dare I say, you know, as soon as I figure out how to get financial wholeness, that's when I'll give to God. As soon as I get emotional wholeness, that's when I'll minister To others, that's when I'll pray. That's when I'll, that is when I'll. But the issue is that God came to heal your soul. Restore you to overflowing. What's the issue? Well, I think the issue is mostly us. We stand in our own way. You know, the Psalms are written... By David, But as theologians have gone back, they find that many of the Psalms are written prophetically about Jesus. One in particular is Psalm 109. This is what David says, but he's really prophesying for Jesus. He says, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. My spirit is wounded within me. I am poor and needy. Philippians tells us that Jesus threw off all of his godness to become poor, that in his poverty, we might become rich. In Jesus' first sermon, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? He is explaining that there is a deficiency in humanity, and so Jesus becomes poor to the point of being anguished in his spirit, and 109 prophetically lays out his enemies and, and Satan himself and all of these things. But what is happening is that Jesus was crushed in his spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he prayed and he experienced great drops of blood. He split and draped. He's just anguished to this point. And he says to his disciples, he says, my soul is crushed to the point of death. My soul is crushed to the point of death. He's like, Let's go and pray. Let's go and connect with God because I am dying on the inside. Later on, he is beaten. The Bible says he's beaten to the point you can't even recognize that he's a man. You see him bloody laying there. The history tells us a cat of nine tails is what they beat him with. And the Roman soldiers, they were experts in how they would torture a person and send them back out. People that were crucified were not given this treatment. This is a separate treatment from crucifixion. So in his spirit, he is anguished. In his soul, he's crushed to the point of death. And in his body, it is bruised and beaten. And Isaiah says that by his stripes across his back, we are healed. He shed his blood for your healing. Theologians call this the passion of the Christ. It's the 12 hours before crucifixion. It is the 12 hours that lead up. And what happens is, is he is sweating great drops of blood. He's anguished in his spirit. That he is crushed in his soul. Have you ever been so worried that you were sweating great drops of blood? I think it was a spiritual thing that was happening. I think his soul was so entirely crushed. Interesting. Interesting. That when you are crushed in your soul, you think that nobody ever gets you. You begin to pull yourself away from God and the people in your community and the people that love you, your pastor, your church, because you think nobody can know what I am going through. But God is saying, I was crushed in my soul for you. And the beginning of these 12 hours is where this atonement for your whole entire life begins, finishing at the ninth hour on a cross when He says, It is finished. It is not just your salvation in forgiveness of sin, it is your salvation in your spirit, your soul, and your body. God died completely for you, He submitted Himself. Yeah, give him some praise on that. God submitted himself completely for you, for you, your family, your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, every part of you for your sins, for your past, for your present, for your future. He died for you. So what's the issue? You're sitting in a house with ownership, with your feet up, sitting in another life and you think that Jesus doesn't care you think that you gotta do it you think that you gotta be the one and he says no I did I just need you to give it to me how do you know that Brand? I gotta do it all I'm, I'm a self sufficient person and Like I, I don't think that's the way it works I don't think, I don't think God is, is just in the, the ministry of handouts excuse me you get to heaven, you get there and tell them, say, I didn't want to take a handout from Jesus, so I'm here to let you know that I've been a good person. God's going to be like, we'll see you in hell. So why would it be any different with your soul? You go to God and he's like, I I just can't get it together. As a matter of fact, we take the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and we think that we're the ones that do it. We think we're the fruit of Brandon. I'm so loving I'm such a good Christian. I'm patient. You should see how long I can wait. God, aren't I so good? I'm a wonderful Christian. I've been working on it. I have matured. I have joy now. You are not self-sufficient. God wants to supply you. And so when he died, he didn't die for your forgiveness, even though you get forgiveness. He died for all of you. All of you healing in every part of your body. It's time that you believe it. What happens in your psyche? Well, you know. Is it your depression? Is it your anxiety? Is it you crippled by fear? One person said, I'm paralyzed by fear. I don't want to leave the house. Is it your confusion? I don't know what to do. I don't know which way is what. I I can't find a direction. I leave the house and I just drive around and I just drive back. And then I go somewhere and then it's it's not what I wanted. It doesn't, it doesn't fill me. It does nothing, nothing is fulfilling. It's just, I. and then I sign up for this and then that doesn't fulfill. And, and then I'm going to... I'm gonna pour into my kids because they say you teach all about your kids, and then I pour into my kids, and then it's just empty. So then I go back home and then I'm just so unfulfilled, and I live in chaos, and my mind is. And then the relationships that I have are chaotic, and then the people they just create more chaos in my life, and then I just and I'm full of rage and I'm angry, and I'm I'm hitting and I'm yelling and I'm throwing things, and I'm just ugh, and I try to keep it together, and I just. I just go find my space and I got to blow off some steam. And We're sick in our souls. Confusion, chaos, dare I say bitterness. What happens when their name comes up? Unforgiveness. What about bipolar disorder? Back and forth. Did God die for that? Can God restore and renew that? What about the other mental illnesses that in our psyche are broken that we just go, oh, this is the way. Maybe I'll just go and I'll take something for this. I should take another thing. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to get your little deed out that has my name on it and set it in front of me. And let's work on this place together. The world is fighting for your attention. People around you are fighting for your attention. What they want is your psyche, your, your soul. Can I just have a bit of your time? Can I just, can I just take a minute? Can, I just, can you just listen to me? Can we just... I need to get your opinion. Can you just like this and, and follow? And Could you just... All the time you're suffering, you've got a deed that says, I belong to heaven, but heaven isn't in me. That I'll get there one day, but right now its it looks like the world. It looks like my dead self. It looks like every habit and thought pattern. It looks like every sin-sick disease. It looks like my sexual addiction. It looks like the problems that I have. It looks like... I wish God could just... God just let this... He says, no, just let me in let me in but you're so distracted your body is so distracted by everything you're distracted by what feels good by where you should go, by what you should do you're stimulated by another vacation you're stimulated by another relationship you're stimulated by another thing and another purchase and another place and all of this stuff And so I just need your psyche I want to heal your psyche but you've got to turn into the place inside you that's alive, the only place that's alive. You gotta quiet everything else. You gotta turn that phone off. You're gonna have to get away. You're gonna have to find some space for just me and you. The Bible says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, quicken your mortal body, you're exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask, think, or imagine in your soul, according to the power that's at work inside of you, and so we turn. Not to our human flesh. We turn to the Spirit of God. We turn to the still, small voice. It's speaking. It's calling. It's drawing. And we say, God, heal us. Heal us. Well, this is just the way I'll always be. This is the kind of person I am. This is my personality. And God says, no, your psyche can be healed. Your soul can be healed. Your habits I don't know, I, just, I just, you just make it to heaven. I'm just thankful for another day. You know, one blessed day, I don't want to ask God for too much. And he said, it's too late. I already gave too much for you. I already gave it all for you. This is the last thing I want to leave you with. Matthew 11. This is out of Jesus' own mouth. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Read it. And I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What? Learn from me. Learn. Just sit down. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your psyche, your soul, your mind. God, do it in my mind. God, do it in my life. Would you just open your hearts and your hands and Change your posture towards God right now and just say, God, come heal my soul. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's stuff that you can't really talk to anybody about. Maybe it's trauma from your past. Maybe it's molestation. Maybe it's rape. Maybe it's we can just go right down the line. People that deal with. It. And Jesus said, I died for that. I died for that. time for you to let it go leave it at his feet and take his rest would you just say it right now I receive your rest I receive your healing God I receive your healing I know that you're close to me I know that you care for me I know that you desire to restore everything inside of me to rehabilitate this old place and make it look like more what you had in mind. Today, if you need healing in your soul, and you want to go a step further, we just come forward to the front. We want to pray with you today. I just want, I'm not going to count. I'm not going to make a big deal. Just come on down. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. doesn't matter. Just move and let God minister to your heart and soul. Jesus. Often, but I feel like God wants to heal broken hearts. Broken hearts. Many different versions of that one word broken heart. I'm broken hearted. That's you. Just raise your hand where you are and I pray for you. Amen. Amen. God, we pray for broken hearts. You said that you are the one who binds up broken hearts. Bring the balm. Of healing to their heart God. bind up their wounds, mend them and pour in the gold of heaven, which takes every crack and restores and renews with such value that sometimes though the scars remain but the beauty that comes from those scars is incredibly glorious broken hearts be renewed new in this place. Let relationships be restored. Give the hearts of the children back to their mothers and fathers. Draw them close, God. Jesus, Jesus. Restore things we didn't know were missing, God. Restore things we didn't know were missing. Spirit of the living God, fall first on me. Spirit of the living God, a new level of trust in this house. A new level of trust call it faith but it's just trusting you in a greater way god we don't want to make it overly spiritual we do want to be as real as we can when you say it we believe it we know that you're faithful we know that you're close that you're near you're not far off god a new level of trust restore broken trust in us the places that we built walls up and about trust and we open our hearts to you god restore the joy of real relationships. Lord, that we trust you and real relationships flow from that. Real friendships. Unite spouses. Connect children. Real joy in relationships, God. Real joy. Overflowing. Overflowing. God, we give you praise for this place. We feel you moving. We see you doing great and mighty things. Take healing from this place to the streets, to every corner, to every house. Let the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the seas so deep so wide, so limitless, full of life and vigor. Lord, let that be us covered with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.